All right. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, go ahead and take a seat. Glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Harley Rathel, and I am the campus pastor of this campus of Bennigman Church, and really glad to have you guys here with us this morning. Um, you know, uh, before I go into uh, opening God's Word together with you this morning, I want to talk about a couple of quick things going on. One is, obvious, this is the obvious thing, uh, is that... Uh, it is Thanksgiving week. And so uh, one of the things that I'm thankful for is the fact that we as a church have been up and running for two months now, uh, officially been here in this theater gathering together. And so the second thing that I wanted to let you know that I'm thank thankful for this morning is the fact that uh, we actually are looking at some land to purchase as a church. And, and I, I guess one of the reasons I want to bring that up is to say this is a unique position. Usually churches that are at this age and stage are not thinking about, hey, long-term, where are we going to be? But as a part of Bannockburn Church with its three campuses, we have an opportunity to now say, okay, where, where is God putting us? Where is he planning us long-term? And so our trustees, our leadership have been working on figuring some stuff out. And, and as some of you have already heard, we have an opportunity on a piece of land. And I'm able to actually give you some more information about that today. So I'm excited to do that. So I'm going to ask the guys to put up a slide for you to see. I'm going to try adjusting this mic. That's a bit better. Um, okay, so I wanted you to get a lay of the land to understand what we're exactly looking at here. So... What we have here is you look up the top right, you'll see the red dot of Buda. And if you look down right about here, um, that's Kyle. And so in between these is, is kind of where we've positioned ourselves at, here at Evo, which has been a great space for us to meet in. Uh, it's been a blessing to be here in this facility. Um, if you look across to the left, you'll see where Hayes High School is, which is a landmark I think most of you are familiar with. And then if you look uh, up above that, you'll see the blue arrow is pointing to the site that we're looking at purchasing. So this site is, um, it's five acres. And if you were coming out of the Hayes High School football stadium, if you looked, if you're walking out of the stadium and look to your left, you would look directly at this parcel of land. It's a little over five acres and it's a great piece of land um, and a great opportunity for us. If we go to the next slide, actually, you'll see a little bit more detail on this parcel. So this is the parcel here. Um, there's a development that's going on right here. There's actually already a road um, put in up across from Mountain City there. And you'll see it's like got a lot of frontage onto Jack C. Hayes Trail. So this is exciting, guys. Like this is a great, great piece of land and could be our future home of this church and this campus. Um, and so I give you this information for a couple of reasons. One is I want to ask you to continue to pray. I know some of you are already praying about this with us and saying, okay, God, would you make a way? Would you provide for us if this is the right piece of land? So keep that coming. Um, please pray with us, especially if you drive down this road as you drive by. Pray over it and say, God, would you lead? Would you provide? Um, the second thing that I encourage you to do is to make yourself familiar with this piece of land. If we do go ahead with the purchase of this, this is where we'll be going. Um, this is where we'll be investing a lot of time and finances and all of that sort of stuff together. 
And so make yourself familiar with this piece of property. Um, I'd encourage you to drive by. If you need more specific directions, I can maybe help you with that. But make yourself familiar with it. And then third thing is I'd love to encourage you to uh, be planning on coming along to a family meeting that we're going to have in January. So in January, one of the things that we're probably going to do is we're going to get all of Bannockburn together, all three campuses, to talk about this property and to vote on whether we continue to move forward with all of the feasibility studies and the stuff that needs to happen for that. Okay, so um, I really would like to encourage you to plan on coming along for that in January. And if you're not already a member, but you've been thinking about that, maybe you've come along to a starting point class, this would be a great time to have you become a member because we'd love for you to be a part of the whole voting process and all that goes on with that. And we'll be having another starting point class sometime soon. Um, that's going to be on December 11th. If you'd like to come along and hear more about what it means to be a part of this church family officially as a church member. Guys, this microphone is driving me crazy. I'm just going to try and adjust it one more time. Is that better? Can you guys still hear me? All right, we'll try that. Um, all right. Well, with all that said, I'm going to pray because I need prayer for this microphone and I need prayer uh, for us as a church as we consider this property. But I also want to pray over our time of opening God's word together. So I'm just going to ask you to join me in bowing your heads, closing your eyes. And again, there's nothing super spiritual about that, except it helps us to focus on what we're, on what we're saying as we converse with God, who is, I believe, already here. God, we thank you that you are here amongst us. We thank you for your many, many blessings. We thank you for a week where we pause and celebrate and give thanks for many blessings that we have in our life. God, as we consider many things as individuals and even as a church, we pray that you would lead us and guide us, especially, God, with this piece of land. Lord, we thank you for bringing us to this this junction where we're already considering a purchase of a property. And Lord, I ask that you would help just continue to lead and guide us in this process. You know what needs to happen, God. And so we just ask that you would lead and guide us by your Holy Spirit to know what we need to do. And Lord, in a similar vein, Lord, as, as, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us to open our hearts to hear from you, God, this morning. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for the opportunity to open our hearts. And God, we pray that you would help us to do that. You would help us to have hearts that are open to hear from you. Speak in these next few minutes. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question, and that is, do you know what God wants from your life? Do you know what His will is for you? I feel like that's actually a pretty big question, you know, to talk about the will of God. But really, a reasonable question to ask. I don't want to make any assumptions here that we are all in this room believing the same things. In fact, I don't know many of you. And so I don't want to assume that we all believe that there's a God who created us and all of those sort of things. And so I'm going to ask you to just... For a moment, assume with me that there is a God, a powerful being who created the universe and everything in it, including you. If that was the case, it would probably be good. It would probably be helpful to know what it is that this being wants from us. 
And so I believe this is why we have a lot of people asking this question, whether they're inside of the church or outside of the church. What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Or what is the will of God? And so you find all sorts of different resources and thoughts out there about this, right? Like there's books, there's uh, you know, studies, there's research, all these different things that you can find talking about the will of God or the purpose of life, the meaning of life. And so it's an interesting thing to think about. I want to give you a random fact today, and that is the fact that I am trained as an industrial designer. I have a degree in industrial design, and that means that I'm trained as a product designer. Often when you say industrial design, people are like, what's that? Uh, a product designer or a product architect. That's the way you can talk about it. It's the person basically who operates between a marketer and an engineer. And so they design products always, always with a purpose. There is a purpose for everything that is created. And so if you're a designer working on the door handle of a new vehicle, which there is somebody who does that, what you're thinking about is, yes, it needs to open the door, but yes, it also needs to feel good. It needs to look good. It needs to make a good sound when it opens the door of that car. That's what a designer does. They think about the purpose of something and the intent of something. If you're a designer and working on a computer case, what you'll do is you will often have to um, get a... Are we changing microphones here? If God is our designer, let me just repeat this. If God is our designer... What he designed us for is something that we could, should consider. That's a serious and good question for us to ask. How practically does he want us to live? And so there's actually several different ways that we could look at this question and answer this question of what is the will of God. And before I acknowledge a few of these, the common routes in which we take, I wanted to give you an analogy that I think will help us today. And that analogy is this. To think about if we were to say today, hey guys, let's go to the Grand Canyon. Now, that would be a long drive. But if we were to go and say, hey, let's go look at the Grand Canyon, we would drive and we may drive up to the south rim of the Grand Canyon and we'd pull up in our bus, all jump out, and we'd have a look at the Grand Canyon. But the truth is that we wouldn't see all of the Grand Canyon, right? You would just see what's in front of you. It's so big that you wouldn't be able to take in all that it has. And I give you that picture because I think this question of what is the will of God is such a big question that there's actually several different viewing angles to take as you look at it. And so the, the view that we often take when we ask this question is that we say, what is the will of God? Well, it's to love God and love people. That is something that somebody would say. I've said that before. And the reason that we say that is because when Jesus was asked, as he was walking around on earth and talking with people, somebody asked him, hey, what is the most important commandment? What does God want, really, is what they were asking. And the answer that he, he gave was to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God and to love people. And so that would be a good and true answer. But the problem with that answer is that it often keeps us up here at a very theoretical sky level, right? And so we're like, okay, I need to love God and I need to love people. That's God's will for my life. And it's a good answer. Another good answer that we sometimes give in church circles is to say, well, our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
The reason that we say that is back in the 1600s, there are a bunch of people who came together who loved God and they came together and said, hey, what are the most important things that Christians should believe and should teach other Christians? And the very first question they asked was this question that we're asking. They put it like this, what is the chief end of man? As in, what is man, humanity's main purpose? And their answer to that question was to say, based on the Bible and what we read, is to glorify God, to make much of God, and to enjoy Him forever. And again, that is a good answer. That's a good angle of looking at this question of what is the will of God. But the problem is that it often keeps us at a pretty theoretical level. And so what I want to do today is to actually take us to a passage that is very practical in explaining what the will of God is. And so I want you to look with me at this passage, and it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's actually the passage that Elizabeth read earlier for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so if you want to turn in a Bible with me, you can. We'll have the words on the screen as well if you'd like to read along there. But 1 Thessalonians 5 is where I am turning to. And this is where the handheld mic breaks down. <laughs> I've only got one hand. It's all good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to read for you, I'm going to read with you verse 14 through to verse 18, okay? So we're reading 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18, and it says this, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. These are good instructions. These are instructions to Christians. It says brothers and sisters, as in brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's saying, hey, do all of these things. Look after people. It goes on and says, see that no one replays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Again, great instructions. Read on with me to verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you were somebody who was trying to memorize some parts of the Bible, which, by the way, is a good habit, because when you memorize Bible verses and, and truths from God's Word, what God is able to do is when we're going through moments and often tough moments, God will bring those back to our mind. So, for example, if, if you're going through a hard or a dark time in your life, all of a sudden, a, a psalm that you may have memorized, like uh, Psalm 23, may come to your mind where you're like, okay, even though I'm walking through the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, God says He is with me. That's a Bible verse. You're remembering it. But if you wanted to memorize some Bible verses, there's some great ones here, because verse 16 is literally two words long. I mean, you can have a whole verse. It's just rejoice always. There you go. That's a whole Bible verse memorized, and it's a good one. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Again, both very short, snappy little verses that are truths about God. But where I want to draw your attention to in particular is the last half of verse 18. Read with me again. It says this, give thanks in all circumstances, but look at the last half. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. When it says this is the will of God, that should set off some sort of little alert in our minds. Because what that is ringing the bell of is telling us, hey, this is what the designer intends for me. This is what He wants from me. This is His will for my life. 
And so when we hear that, we should ask ourselves, okay, well, what is it saying? What, what, what is God's will? Because I want to know that. I need to know what God's will is for my life. And this is where this passage becomes a little tricky. I went down a whole rabbit hole here studying into what is that referring to when it says this is the will of God. And there's several different ways that we could believe that it's saying this. We could believe that it's just verse 18, that we would be thankful in all circumstances. This is the will of God. That could be one interpretation. Another interpretation is to say it's God's will that we do all of the stuff in this whole paragraph, this whole section that we read. Or the third opinion is this, the will of God is the few things listed out in this direct sentence, verse 16, 17, and 18. That is what is being referred to here. And so doing some asking around and doing some study from people who have got a lot of training and experience, this is the consensus. And this is where I land as well. The will of God is that we would, as verse 16 says, rejoice always, that we would, as verse 17 says, pray without ceasing, And then as verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. These directions are given to the Christian as a practical list of things that we can do and know that we are inside of God's will. Uh, One thing to note is the difference here when we're talking about God's will between the general will of God and the specific will of God. The general will of God is what we know that God desires for all of us. We know that God desires these things for all Christians. And, and it, it isn't specific, oh, he desires Harley to rejoice always, but not Danny. You know, like it's, it's not like there's these dividing lines. The specific will of God is what we often like to talk about because that's kind of a little bit more, you know, uh, interesting maybe, or uh, it changes from time to time. Because the specific will of God is distinct and unique. It's a calling given to certain peoples at certain time. For example, if you look at the character in the Bible named Joshua, he had a very specific calling from God to lead God's people, the Israelites, at a specific time. If you look at, into the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul, who's this guy who God used to help start the church right through the Roman Empire. He had a specific calling from God to go and to, to work in the Roman Empire. I mean, just from our own story, I, I know some of you don't know me really well, but there was a window of time that God had our family working with the church in Scotland. And I believe that that was a call from God for us to go and to be a part of that for a couple of years as we were there. And so God does have specific callings at specific times. But what we're looking at today is not the specific will of God, but the general will of God. We often want to talk about the specific will of God because it sounds more exciting. But the general will of God is actually a very good thing. Because a lot can be gained by knowing and living inside the general will of God. As we are faithful in saying, God, I know that you want me and all of us who love you to do these things. That is a good thing to know and to live inside. So we're going to look now at each of these three instructions individually. But before we do that, I want you to notice with me that each of these directions that we've read in these three verses, they have this sweeping descriptor next to them. Did you notice when we read that? It'd be one thing if the, if the Bible said, okay, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. But it doesn't say that. It says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. So each one of these 
is much easier if it doesn't have the descriptor next to it. It actually makes it more challenging. It's a little bit like a mum saying to her kids, hey, brush your teeth, uh, versus saying, hey, guys, you've got to brush your teeth twice a day. Because that descriptor on the end, if it, you know, your kids could be like, sure, I'll brush my teeth in two days from now. But if you say, hey, I want you to do it morning and night, the descriptor clarifies and makes it more difficult. And so we see that with each of these instructions. Okay, let's look at the first one. The first one is this. It tells us that it's God's will that we, as Christians, rejoice Always. Now, I say as Christians because the instruction, as I pointed out, is given to Christians. It says brothers and sisters. And I don't want to assume that in this room that everybody is a Christian or believes the same thing. But if you are here and if you are checking things out as far as faith is maybe exploring faith, I want to encourage you in that journey because being here today isn't a time for you to just switch off and say, well, this doesn't apply for me. This is just about Christians. It's good for you to know what a Christian believes. It's good for you to know what a Christian thinks and and is living for. And so this first thing that we see is that we should rejoice always. And as you hear that, you should ask yourself, okay, well, what does that mean? How do I rejoice always? I mean, is that talking about faking joy or pretending that we're happy, putting on some sort of plastic face? I think some people believe that we should come to church in particular and pretend like everything's good. You walk into church and you're like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. You know, and on the inside, you're not good. This is often what people believe that the Bible teaches us. And yet I don't believe that that is true. Because as you look into the Bible, as you study who God is, what you find out is one, that God knows everything. He knows how you feel on the inside. But second to that, He desires authentic behavior. In fact, if you read through the Bible, in particular, the, the uh, poems and the songs in the middle of the Bible in the book of Psalms, you'll find that right in the middle of the Bible. What you find there is some people who are actually pretty frustrated and upset with God. And God likes that behavior enough to have it recorded in this book for all of us to read centuries, thousands of years later. Because God desires authenticity. He desires for us to be real. And so that leads us to another question, which is this. Can we be authentic and still rejoice always? As crazy as it may sound to answer it this way, I believe the answer is yes. And one of the best examples that I have of this is actually one of my personal heroes, a guy who lived in the 1800s. And I want to tell you a little bit about his life. He's a guy named George Muller. He lived in Bristol, England. He lived for most of the 1800s. He lived a long life. Here's a picture of this man. And I want you to see this picture because very few people from this era actually have smiles on their faces. And that's because they had to pose so long for photographs, right? You guys have heard this before? But look at this guy. He's happy. Like you see joy exuding from this man. And I believe what we're seeing is a joy that flowed out of him because of God's work inside of him. You see, George Muller was not happy and joyful because he had an easy life. In fact, he had a very, very challenging life. This man sought to love and care for orphans. And so he started orphanages. He started caring for, you know, just a handful. And and this grew until he was responsible for literally thousands of orphans at a time. It was a real problem in the 1800s. 
And so he would care for these guys. But oftentimes, if you read through the story of his life, oftentimes he didn't even know where all of these people, all of these kids, where their next meal was coming from, even his own next meal. And yet we see joy exuding from this man. Along with that, he suffered some really difficult and challenging things. He had this wife that he loved for many decades and she passed away. He outlived her. He remarried. And again, his second wife, who he loved as well, she passed away. Both of his children passed away during his lifetime. He walked through some very difficult things. And yet he gave us this beautiful, beautiful sentence. It's actually one of my favorite quotes of all time outside of the Bible. This is what he says. The first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. I love that. What he's saying is, despite of my circumstances, I can find joy in Jesus. No matter what the circumstances of life are, I can find my soul happy in the Lord. And this is the point. A Christian can rejoice always because they know that God has given them life and given them hope of life beyond this life, salvation. Even on the darkest day, we have hope if we are Christians in Jesus. And so like George Muller, we can rejoice always and we should seek to rejoice always because this is, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God's will for us. This is what God wants for us. It's His plan for our lives. My wife's parents live in Houston. And uh, most of you know that Houston is prone to having tropical storms and hurricanes come through and all that sort of stuff. And so recently they installed this giant backup generator in their backyard. And so what happens is if they lose power at their house, this thing just clicks in and supplies power to the house when there's darkness all around. And I think in some ways that pictures a little bit of what we're talking about here. In Jesus, we have a backup generator for our joy. Even if the circumstances of life around us are difficult and challenging, maybe we're going through some really hard stuff. In Jesus, we have a source that gives us joy even in the midst of hardship. The problem with this analogy and where it breaks down is that our joy in Jesus doesn't need to just kick in in bad times. We can find Jesus, joy in Jesus in all times. And I want to encourage us, I want to encourage myself to do that. It's also God's will, as verse 17 tells us, that as Christians that we would pray without ceasing. And again, I think we get a little tripped up with this terminology because we're like, okay, without ceasing. Like, what is going on there? What does that mean? How do we do that? I mean, even if to be very, like, pragmatic, even if we, like, practically stayed up praying 24-7, at some point you're going to fall over from exhaustion and sleep. What does it mean to pray? Well, to pray means to commune with God, to have fellowship with Him, to speak with Him, and to listen to Him. It's this two-way street of communication. That's what praying is. And so, unlike the people that we associate with in everyday life, we have in God someone who is always present, always accessible, always there to speak with. I love my wife a lot. I, I like Liz. And just putting that on the record. Uh, no, I really do. I, I love Liz a lot. She's awesome. And we like to talk a lot. 
She's my best friend. And so we'll talk when we're getting up. We'll talk when we're going to bed. We talk throughout the day. If I'm driving and, and I know she isn't tied up, I'll give her a call and we'll talk. But there are points in any given day where we have to go our separate directions. And that's what God doesn't do. He never leaves us. He is always present. Listen to a couple of Psalms that talk about this. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Some translations say ever present, as in you can't escape from Him. Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that is the Old Testament place of the dead, you are there. God's everywhere. He's everywhere at all times and all places. And so God is always accessible. And so we can and should stay in constant contact with God. My computer that I have for work is a great computer, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's pretty useless if I'm not connected to some sort of Wi-Fi internet network. It needs to be connected for me to be able to do the things on it that I want to do. Whether that's even writing documents or whether that's shooting emails, whatever it may be, my computer needs to be connected and God desires for us to be constantly connected to Him. And so that's what God is talking about here in this passage. We need to talk to God. And by the way, when we talk to God, we don't need to put on some sort of crazy, uh, you know, official sounding voice. I think some of us think that prayer needs to be this thing where we come to Him and we're like, God, you know, our voice changes. We use all this fancy language and we sound like some sort of like 1800s preacher. But the truth is that we are, can and should have constant conversation with God, just, just like we would with anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't reverent and that we don't respect Him, but we can talk to God when we're rolling out of bed in the morning. When the alarm goes off and you don't want to get out of bed, you can say, God, I have no energy, but God, would you bless this day? Would you lead me through it? We can be praying, starting it right there. As we're in that shower in the morning, trying to wake up, thinking about the day, we can pray there. As you're getting breakfast, and, and, and then heading out the door to work, to school, or dropping off the kids, whatever you may be doing, you can pray while you drive. You can pray while you're in that meeting that all of a sudden isn't going so well. You can pray while you're getting that next drink that has caffeine in it in the middle of your day. You can pray as you're coming home and trying to figure out what are we going to eat tonight. You can pray even as you're collapsing back into your bed exhausted at the end of the day. I think you get the point. We can and should include God in everything. We should be in constant contact without ceasing, talking to Him, listening to Him, submitting to Him at all times and in all places because this is the will of God for us. The third thing that we're told is the will of God is that we give thanks in all circumstances and we think, okay, well, giving thanks, that's not too hard, right? We have Thanksgiving holiday. Americans are experts at this, right? Like, we just had that this week. By the way, side note, as an Australian by birth, I have had people ask me, hey, when's Thanksgiving in Australia? To which I like to smile and reply and say, we don't do Thanksgiving because we were founded as a prison colony. That's always a little bit fun to just elaborate to people. Um, none of you have asked me that, I don't think. Um, but that's always a little bit of fun. 
but the truth is, there is something that I love about this holiday that we just celebrated. And giving thanks is good. But the problem is, the difficulty is that descriptor next to it. Because it doesn't say give thanks when it feels good. Give thanks in all circumstances. We should read that one in particular, I think, of all three. And our jaws should hit the ground. We should think, yikes. Okay, that is, that is a big command. I, I don't even know how to do that. I mean, if you want to, this, this is taking us to the deep end of the pool, but I want to show you how intense this command could actually be. And I want to do that by sharing a story about a lady that I know. It was a sweet older lady that was part of a church we were part of. One day she was giving her testimony and she was talking with everybody about how decades earlier she had a toddler that had fallen into a pool and drowned. And as she talked about this story, I mean, it was, it was, man, it was heavy. But she talked about how God was calling her to trust Him even in the midst of that hardest and darkest moment in her life. And she talked about 1 Thessalonians 5. She talked about trusting Him enough to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, by the way. The Bible doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. There's a big difference. It says give thanks in all circumstances. But it's still not easy. How can we give thanks in all circumstances? In fact, how can we give thanks? How, how can we do any of these things? As we've talked about, you know, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances. How can we do these things? And this is where we need to look back at the text again. Because if you look back at the text with me in verse 18, what it says is give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Listen to the next part. In Christ Jesus for you. I think we often read that and we think, oh, that's kind of like, you know, the little bit at the end that you just rattle off, in Christ Jesus for you. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, when we're praying, we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. And often we don't think about how significant that is. All of this centers on Jesus. That's not just a throwaway phrase. Our ability to be joyful, as the text tells us, to be prayerful, as the text tells us, to be thankful, as God desires us to be, is only possible because of Jesus. To put it in another way, we find and can live in God's will only in and through Jesus. We can rejoice always and find true joy because, as we've said, like George Muller, we have joy that transcends our circumstances in Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have joy. We are able to connect with God, to pray, and to talk with Him again because of Jesus. A Christian is made right with God. Before we are made right with God, we have no reason to, to pray and to expect that God would hear us. But because of Jesus, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4 in the Bible, it says we can boldly approach God. We can come to Him and say, God, this is what's going on. I need your help. Again, this is because of Jesus. And we are able to be thankful in all circumstances because in Jesus, again, He is the key. We have a promise and hope that all things will work together, even the hard things. I want to take you to the scripture that talks about that. I read a book by a guy, a pastor once, who went through some really, really difficult things in his life. And he said of this scripture I'm about to read you that it is the 
number one most unbelievable passage in all the Bible. And by unbelievable, he meant, yes, hard to believe, but wow, if it is true, is awesome. It's incredible. I want you to hear it with me. It's Romans 8 verse 28. And it says this, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. This is an awesome and true promise. And what it means is that we can trust Jesus, even in the darkest valleys of life, to ultimately work all things together for good. And what that means is that we can, because of that, even in the darkness, give thanks. In those dark circumstances. And when we do that, we are operating inside the will of God. So the question that remains for us now is the question of, okay, we've talked about these, these passages, we've talked about these things. What is God saying to each of us today? For some of you, perhaps God is calling you to know Him, to love Him. You see, if you're not a Christian and you try to, to pray more or to, to uh, be thankful more or to be more joyful, you don't have the fuel to do that. You need Jesus. He is the fuel that enables you to be the person that you are called to be. And so you can come to Him today. You can know Him today. And where that starts is by you, first of all, saying, hey, I am a broken and messed up person. We all have to start there. We all have to acknowledge that there are things that we have thought and said and done that are not good. God is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. And we are not. And that is why Jesus came. He came to die for all of our brokenness so that we could be made right with Him. That is the gospel. That is what a Christian believes. And maybe some of you today are in a place where you're like, I need that. I need His grace. I need His forgiveness. I need this new life. That is the place to start. Secondly, if you know Him, the question to ask yourself is, how is God calling you to live more fully in His will in these areas as we've talked about? Is it maybe to be more joyful, to rejoice always? Is it to be more prayerful, to, to pray without ceasing? For me personally, as I've been thinking about this, this message, that's the place that I land for me personally today. Or maybe it's to give thanks even in hard circumstances right now. Maybe it's to be thankful. I don't know what God's saying to you today, but I want to ask you to consider what He is saying. And as you do that, there's one final thought that I want to give you, and that is this. What would happen if we as a room of people were to take seriously the call that we're given in the Scriptures here? What if we were to say, you know what, by God's grace, I want to be more joyful. I want to be more prayerful. I want to be more thankful. What if all of us committed to that together? I think that there would be a ripple on effect that would be awesome out of this place. It wouldn't just have an impact on this church. It would have a flow out into our community and into our world. And so I want to encourage us to think about that and to trust that God is able to help us to be the people that he's called us to be. And so I'm going to pray. 
And I'm just going to ask God to continue to grow us to being the people that He's called us to be, to be the people who, yes, trust in Him first and foremost, but then as we do that, to be people who rejoice always, who pray without ceasing, and who give thanks in all, all circumstances. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to hold it up next to our lives and say, okay, God, what are you wanting to say to us? What are you wanting to to lead us in? And so, God, we're asking that you would help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, grow us in these things. Lord, if we don't know you, Lord, give us faith to believe that maybe you are real and that these things are true. God, if, if we do know you, would you help us to grow in being people who love you, to grow in being people who are joyful and prayerful and thankful. We need your help. We need your grace. So lead us, please. Thank you. Amen. Well, oftentimes at this point, I want to give you guys some specific directions for response. And today I actually have a very specific direction that I'm going to give you in that we are going to take communion together um, as a church. And this is actually the first time since our launch that we've done this together. But I'm excited that you're here and you get to participate that in that today. I want to give you a couple of uh, notes about that before we get started. And that is to say that as we've been talking about, we can be joyful, prayerful, and thankful as God desires because of Jesus. Because we believe as Christians that Jesus came and died for us, giving himself as a sacrifice, again, to pay for our sins, where we didn't measure up to God. And so one of the ways that we remember, and we don't just remember, we celebrate that is by doing this thing we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. And what we pass around and what we're going to pass around in just a moment is a little container. And in that container, it has some juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was given for us. And we have a crack in there that represents the body of Christ that was given for us. And so we're going to take these things together. We'll, we'll pass these in just a moment. And as we pass these, I ask you to just hold on to it. You can peel back a layer and be ready to eat the cracker. We'll do that together in a moment. But the other thing I just want to note with you is there is no pressure for you to do this today. In fact, this is something that is really meant to be for Christians. And so if you're not sure where you sit with God today, it's okay if you let that part, plate pass by you. But if you're ready and if you're willing to celebrate what God has done for us together, we invite you to participate. And so I'm going to invite these guys to, to go ahead and start distributing this. And we're just going to, in the silence, as these guys play for us and as they lead us, we're going to give you an opportunity just to reflect. So use this quiet space to think about who God is and what He's done for you as you prepare to take communion with us.